Welcome to Me Time, the podcast for women in midlife who've been taking care of everyone else and now say, it's my turn to take care of me. I'm Kim Aceto, health and self-care coach for women in midlife and your host. Thank you for spending your precious me time with me right now. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today I'm here with Melanie Gibson. Let me tell you about Melanie. Melanie Gibson has worked in the healthcare industry since 2004 with roles as a hospital librarian, corporate trainer, and learning designer. She's also the author of the new memoir, Kicking and Screaming, a memoir of madness and martial arts. In the book, she shares the story of her life-changing journey from troubled, lost soul to confident Taekwondo black belt. Melanie, welcome to the Me Time Midlife Podcast. Hello, Kim. Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. It's great to have you. And I'm looking forward to talking with you about your journey, your book, your story, all of it. Um, but as a first time guest, let me ask you the first question I ask every first time guest, which is what do you enjoy doing during your me time? I love to read. I've always loved to read since I was a child. Um, I read every night before I go to sleep. And I found as a writer, it's a really great way to grow your skills is to mm. read the books that you love and learn what you can from them and uh, write what you love to read. Oh, I love all of that. Yeah. And I, I know that the key to becoming a better writer is to read more, right? Yes. <laughs> so um, did you always, uh, did, did you, did you know you were going to be an author someday or or not? No, no, I mm. didn't. I didn't really know I wanted to be an author until I had a book in me that wanted to come out. Um, right. I've always been creative. I started out drawing as a child. My dad was an art professor in the little uh, community where I grew up. And so I was always around painting and drawing and I loved doing that. I, I thought at one point I wanted to be an animator for Disney or a cartoonist for Mad Magazine. Um, that, that didn't work out, but I, I love to draw. And that eventually gave way into writing. I don't draw anymore. I don't really have an interest in it, uh, but I started writing. And that really picked up when I started my blog a couple of years ago, when I was having so many insights into my Taekwondo training, I just had to get them out. And so that's how I feel about writing. I've got all these ideas in my head and I just have to get them down onto paper or into a computer document. Oh, that's great. I love it. And, and how interesting that you can draw too. That's yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with your story before we get into, you know, why you wrote this book. So just, you know, give us a little background about who you are and what led you to this point. So the message of the book is finding hope after dealing with mental illness. So I, I've always been a sensitive child, kind of a dark sensibility about me, and I've had mental illness for a long time. Uh, I grew up in a small town in rural West Texas, so we didn't really have the best resources in the 1980s and 1990s for someone like me who was experiencing anxiety and depression and eating disorder, and I also thought that was just a normal part of being a teenager is having all of these emotions, so I wasn't really sure what was going on, and I continued to suffer with those what, what turned out to be anxiety, bipolar disorder, and depression, and an eating disorder into my 20s and 30s. Now, I kept up the facade of being very accomplished. I did well in school. I went to college and graduate school. I built a career and had this facade of perfectionism to protect me from the world, all the while suffering in silence. 
until about 10 years ago when I was in my early 30s, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I sought help from a therapist and a psychiatrist and that got me to a good baseline. But I was still making poor choices, having a lot of emotional ups and downs, having a lot of relationship drama, just couldn't get my head on straight. So this was kind of a last means to save myself was I needed to do something drastic and, and do something different and positive. And so I thought I'd go back to Taekwondo and Taekwondo is a Korean martial art. It's very similar to karate. And I had done it as a child out in the town where I grew up. I did it for about two or three years and I enjoyed it, but I just thought it was one of those childhood things I'd never go back to. But over time, I started to think about it more and more. And finally, when I was at my emotional rock bottom, thought, okay, this is it. I'm going back to Taekwondo. And through a little internet searching, I discovered that my childhood Taekwondo's grand uh, instructor's grandmaster, so the, the guy that they reported up to, operated his school in Fort Worth, Texas, which is where I live now, about five miles from my house. So I took that as a sign from the universe that I needed to get back into Taekwondo. And I've been back in, in it ever since. And it's been a love story since then. Wow. Wow. What great job sharing your story. <laughs> Sounds like you've thought about this a lot. And I mean, you've had to really think about it as you, you know, write this book, right. About your life mm -hmm. and your journey. Um, so like, you know, I was going to ask, you, you know, why you wrote this book. I think that you answered some of that, but you know, who would you say this book is for? Who would be the ideal reader? I think the ideal reader is somebody like me who has suffered in silence and hidden their mental illness for a long time or they felt like they've had to hide it. I, I make a joke in the book that I'm high functioning crazy and I get stuff done. I'll, I don't say the word stuff. I say something else. But uh, in the U.S., and it's probably similar in Canada, one in five adults has some kind of mental illness. But we don't see that. We only see the extremes or we see the stereotypes in pop culture. So I wanted to reach out to people like me who may seem like they have it together on the outside, but inside they're really struggling and they don't have an outlet for it to um, express themselves or to find comfort in something like I did with Taekwondo or they aren't able to get the mental health resources that they need. So I, I want to reach all readers, anybody, anybody who likes a good story, but I mostly wanted to reach out to those people like me. Now you, you talk about how Taekwondo saved you. Um, can you talk about that a little bit more? How so? And, um, you know, do you think that, you know, because you had done it before, um, you were able to kind of bring that prior knowledge, experience, skills into it that really helped, you know, you get the most benefit out of it now? Or do you think you would have been drawn to it anyway? Like, just tell me a little bit more. It's interesting. I don't know if I would have been drawn to martial arts had I not done it before. So when I was at that point in my life, I was looking for something new and fresh but Taekwondo was also something very comforting and familiar. So I could very well have also gone back to drawing or something that I loved to do when I was a child. And I think about when, when I did Taekwondo when I was about 11 and 12, that was before I started really worrying about what people thought of me. I had my hobbies. I obsessed over my parents' Beatles records. I loved to draw. I loved to do Taekwondo. I wasn't the most confident kid in the world, but I didn't care about being perfect or getting other people to like me, which unfortunately I, I went in that direction in high school, college, and later as an adult. So I wanted to tap into some of that self-confidence I had as a child. Um, and also back to it being new is that 
I have a corporate job. I have a mortgage. I have all those adulting things in my life. And I wanted something so drastic and different that it would snap me out of my reality. So when you're in a sweaty uh, dobok, that's what we call our uniform, and you're kicking things and you're yelling and you're fighting people, it is so different than sitting in a, a staff meeting or typing an email. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you put that uniform on, would you say that you you kind of step into a different identity? I think so. I never thought about it that way, but I think you do, is that you leave your baggage at the, the door of the, the training school or you leave it off the mat and you go and you just become a more authentic version of yourself. And that's something I've struggled with too throughout my life is not being authentic to who I am. And Taekwondo helped me find something I really love to do. Um, it helped me find something to identify with, but not completely take over my identity either, because that, that can be too much of a good thing can always can be a problem. I found a community. I found goals that I could set. So yeah, I felt like I became a, a different version of myself, a happier, a more confident version of myself. And I wanted to take that version of myself off the mat and into the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Now, how were you able to do that? Like, how were you able to transfer, you know, that confidence, that authenticity, that assuredness of who you are um, from the mat to your personal and professional life? You know, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm asking you these questions because, you know, I'm thinking about the ladies listening and maybe this isn't their exact you know, journey of Taekwondo. Right. But, um, but, you know, this could be putting on your workout clothes, putting on your workout shoes, you know, getting a workout and getting, going for a walk, doing some kind of self-care activity where, you know, you're able to transfer, you know, those, those really great feelings of accomplishment and taking care of yourself and, you know, getting stronger, getting healthier, whatever it is into, you know, other aspects of your life. So how, how are you able to, to transfer, you know, those, those feelings, I guess, um, and those skills, um, and, and just in that embodiment into other areas of your life. Once you take the uniform off, I think you nailed it when you said self-care and seeing progress. So doing martial arts for me is a form of self-care and it's a great way to get little incremental bits of progress. There are some plateaus and some steps back. It's, it's very intricate. It can be very frustrating, but you see a lot of progress. Um, no matter what level you are or what martial art you do, you're learning something new and that activates your brain in a different way than maybe going to the same job every day. So you're doing something healthy for your body and your mind. You're getting feedback you're around people who love to do the same thing that you do. So you're getting all these little, this information and this feedback about yourself and you're growing your confidence and you think, oh, okay, I can, I, I can get through a sparring match without being too anxious and scared, or I can break a board or I can, I can kick a pad really hard. And you get these little increments of confidence and feedback and that builds up over time. And so it's not something that happened overnight. I think time is a factor in it too. It's just keep doing the thing that you love. And eventually you may see some changes a little slower over time. But I would have moments where I'd sit in a meeting or I'd, I'd be working on a project and think, oh, I have sparring class tonight. And then I think about how I'm going to go take off my makeup, change into a uniform and fight a teenage boy. And that's so <laughs> different than what I experience in my daily life. It just right. makes me laugh. And I think, oh, that's the thing I have to worry about tonight. So it's a great distraction. Right, right. Oh, that's great. You said so many wonderful things there. I can't wait to go back and listen. Um, But but yeah, I, I just love it all. I love it all. 
Um, okay, so let's talk about you know um, a couple of things that are kind of taboo, I would say. So, you know, you talk about mental illness. Um, you refer to you know mental health issues as a mental illness. Um, also, you use the word crazy um, in as we were talking. I don't know if it's in your book or not, but you know these words are becoming more. I, I think at least what I'm hearing and seeing. Um, the, these words are becoming more taboo. These are kind of words that, you know, I think people are trying to steer away from, um, as we kind of look at, you know, being more inclusive and just not shaming people and, you know, the stigma that comes, you know, behind so many of these words. But what's interesting is like, while mental illness is a taboo word, other terms, like let's say a physical illness, right. Um, is not so taboo. So what are your thoughts around all of this is, is this is kind of your area? I was thinking about this earlier and I think part of it and part of what I've experienced is that we don't allow people who have mental health conditions, the same grace that we do the people who have physical health conditions. And this has been really acutely in my mind because I've been through a big physical health experience in the last year. Um, I tore my ACL doing Taekwondo. So, you know, I was doing something I love, (laughs) but it happens. And so, yeah, I had a major injury. I had, I've had two surgeries and that's a big life change. And I've had to have some accommodations from work and, and people are very sympathetic. I feel very comfortable talking about it during the same year, the last pandemic and all the, the um, you know, the upsets of 2020 and 2021, I've also had some pretty tough mental health issues too. But in the same way that I felt very open talking about my knee and all my recovery with that, I was very reluctant to open up to anybody to even seek help for some of the mental health issues that I was having. And I think it's right. just that, that, that self-stigma that I have. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm one of those people who hides behind perfectionism and hides behind accomplishments because I think that keeps me safe. I think if I don't talk about it, that keeps me safe. But I finally got to a breaking point and I had a conversation with my boss, a very frank conversation. Didn't go into details of everything I've been diagnosed with or anything, but basically saying, look, I'm struggling. I have, I've have, my mental health is not good right now. I need to be open about it. I need to get some help. I need, um, you know, we need to talk about how we may adjust things at work and know that, and I need to know that I can trust you with this information. And I'm lucky enough to have a very compassionate boss. I I hope more people have bosses like this, very compassionate. She didn't necessarily have solutions for me right then and there, but we've been able to talk about it since then. And I've even been, been able to get some more accommodations for the things that I need. So that was like a a healthy snowball effect of finally opening up about it. And then that feels like it lets some pressure off. I feel like I don't have to be perfect all the time. I feel like people aren't looking at me under a microscope all the time. I can put my health first and put my needs first. And that really makes me a better worker. Right, right. Now, do you think having a, a woman boss um, was helpful for you to, um, feel more comfortable bringing this up with her? Maybe, um, I I've had male and female bosses and she's the first one that I've opened up to about my mental health issues. So, 
that's hard to say. I can think of people in the past who would have been sympathetic and others who would not have been sympathetic. And there are men in my life who know about the things I've gone through. They've read my book and they're incredibly sympathetic and empathetic towards what I've gone through. So um, maybe, I mean, it's, it's we're, we're the same age. We connect on a lot of levels. So I think I felt comfortable with her that the way I may not with someone who's uh, in a different age group or uh, has different life experiences. So um, yeah, I think if you have a, a male boss, that doesn't mean he won't be compassionate or empathetic. It just really depends on the person and your relationship with them. Right, right. Now, especially right now, I mean, during COVID, I mean, it just kind of comes and goes and waxes and wanes, you know, depending on different places. You live in the US, I live in Canada, but COVID is global. It's everywhere. Everybody's dealing with it. And, you know, we're not all in the same boat. You know, um, there are people who are experiencing way worse mental health issues than other people. Um, and definitely women are experiencing more mental health issues than men um, are during COVID. I think that's pretty clear. Um, so, you know, do you think that this right now, especially maybe bosses are, are even experiencing, um, some of these issues as well. Do you think that bosses are more open to their employees kind of talking about this or, uh, it, it you know, is it, is it more welcome to talk about these issues that you're kind of seeing? What, what are you seeing in like the corporate world, you know, when it comes to this and, and how would one go about to, um, you know, bring this up, I guess, with their boss. What are your thoughts about that for someone listening who, you know, maybe does want to bring this up? Mm -hmm. Well, I live in Texas and I work for a healthcare organization. So COVID and the stress from that is front and center. I, I'm not a frontline healthcare worker, so I don't want to take from their spotlight. Um, but, but I see the stress too. So, and, and it's right in our faces here in Texas. So I think um, whether you're here at, with the pandemic raging or not, is that this, there has been a reckoning about mental health in this country is that we're all we're all suffering in different ways. And just from what I've seen, and I know it differs case by case, but people are opening up about their mental health struggles. Many times people who have not had maybe diagnosed mental health conditions, but they're suffering from situational anxiety and depression. And they're seeing the, the stress that and the toll that it's taking on their personal lives, on their work lives, on their relationships. And I think organizations have had to adjust just the way we, many of us adjusted to working from home or, or uh, the way essential workers had to adjust the way they worked. Um, they, they've had to recognize that we're all human beings and we're all dealing with an incredibly stressful and traumatic situation. And we right. can't keep doing things the way we're doing them. It's not going to work. Even when things go back to quote unquote normal post pandemic, we're never going to be the same. And I think if one good thing has come from this is that it has made talking about mental health and addressing mental health much more in the forefront of our society. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that has been one of the positive things that have come from this pandemic. Um, just, I mean, seeing that there are different ways to work. I mean, not everybody can work from home and um, you know, that's, that's a luxury, I think for, you know, people to be able to work from home, but many people cannot work from home. Many women cannot. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, all, all these other issues, of course. So, um, so yeah, I think it's, it's really great that, you know, we're now, you know, living in a time where, you know, we can be more open about this because everybody again is experiencing COVID to some degree, you know, it's impacted their lives. Um, I can't think of anybody who has it. 
been impacted. I, I'm trying to think of who wouldn't be impacted, but I mean, you know, kids, older people, um, mid, people in midlife, uh, men, women, uh, you know, all gender, sexual orientations, everything I think um, have been affected by this pandemic. Um, so your book really comes at a timely time, I guess, <laughs> would you say? I hope so. I hope it gives people some comfort and some hope. I've, I've gotten some private messages from people and, and, and I love getting messages from readers. I treasure everyone. And sometimes they've had a similar journey to mine and other times they haven't. But um, the, the feelings of stress and anxiety and sadness and loneliness, those are all part of the human condition. So even if people haven't been in my exact situation, they could relate to it. And it's a story of hope too. It does have a happy ending. And th there's a thread of happiness and hope and, and confidence throughout the book. And, and I know it's made people smile. So that's, I'm glad I've been able to contribute something good during this pandemic. Right. Absolutely. So when, when did your book get published? It was published in April of 2021. Oh, okay. So that that's actually perfect. And how long did it take you to write the book? Uh, probably. That's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> there have been so many rewrites. <laughs> sure. Pro the first draft probably took seven to eight months. And that was the first draft. And all writers know that your first draft is, is pretty crummy, but at least I got the bulk of the story out there. And then I, I wrote that first draft around 2015, which was the year that I got my first degree black belt. And then I worked on it off and on over the years, uh, pitched it to agents, but it really wasn't ready yet. So I did some more rewrites and then I did serious rewriting and editing during this past year for the before the publication process. So I'd say it took maybe seven to eight months for the first draft, but really five years to get the finished product. Mm, wow, wow. I mean, what an accomplishment to be working on something for so long and to, you know, again, have to go back and edit and rewrite and probably throw things out that, you know, you took a while writing and, um, yeah, it's, wow, it's, it's really great, but, um, it's wonderful to finally have it done and to put it out there and to see people, you know, reading it and making a positive impact with it. So that's really wonderful. Yes. And I actually like editing. Mm. Um, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but I like it. Um, I, I go back and I can look at it with a critical eye. I feel like the, the hard part, the hard part for me was getting the story out and, and all of that. And editing is fun. It's, it's like when you put the finesse on it and you craft it and you sculpt it, sculpt it and make it into something beautiful. Um, I wrote a blog post about how Gordon Ramsay is my spiritual writing guy oh, because really? he demands perfection and <laughs> finesse and and taking something that could be simple and making it well crafted mm. and beautiful and that's what I think about with writing is is taking some ingredients and making a beautiful meal out of it for your reader mm, I love that I love how you see you're an artist you're an artist even when you're writing well writing mm -hmm. is an is an art as well right um so I want to go back though, um, just for a few minutes to talk about, you know, I, I, I like, I love, I love that there's a positive ending. And of course, you know, you've come out of this and, you know, I'm sure it's something you still work on and work through, um, in different ways as it comes up. And as we all have these feelings, we all have these feelings that, that you're talking about, you know, these negative, I guess, well, not, they're not always negative, but, you know, feelings of loneliness and sadness and anger and all of those are just normal human feelings and to normalize these feelings and to say, I feel these. And then other people, we, you know, we all feel these feelings, you know? Um, so I, I think it's, it's really great. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to share about, 
you know, what you would like to maybe, maybe see, you know, I think by writing this book, you've been able to normalize these feelings again, like I said, but, you know, like, what would, what would you like to see? Like, what kind of world um, would you like to live in, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, where, where, you know, we can be free and open to talk about our mental health issues. That's a great question. Yeah. And I think starting with normalizing all of the feelings that we have, I I can get anxious for feeling anxious or depressed for feeling depressed. And that, that doesn't do me any good. So normalizing how we feel about things, um, going back to what I said earlier, giving people the same grace for struggling with their mental health, the way they would for a physical health condition, like, like the sympathy Mm -hmm. I got for my knee, I'd like to get the same sympathy or, or understanding for my mental health issues. Um, that we can find ways to to cope with them and put our health first. I think that's the lesson that I've had to learn this past year is putting my health first, advocating for our health. So all of us learning how to be better advocates for our mental health and in turn, the world being more empathetic and compassionate to those of us who are speaking up saying, hey, I have needs and in order to feel fulfilled or get my job done or take care of my family, these mental and physical health needs need to be met. Right, right. And I would also add, I mean, again, you know, I brought this up earlier in the kind of in the beginning, but reducing the stigma of um, the words that we use, I, I guess I would say, again, you know, physical illness, um, I'm just speaking for myself. I mean, I, I would feel better talking about a physical issue of mine versus a physical illness of mine, even though that feels more comfortable than talking about a mental health issue. Um, because for some reason, we think our society, I think we think that, you know, we, we should be able to power through these mental health issues. And especially we women, you know, we, we should be able to get over it and, you know, like it just get it, get it done, get, get over it and move on and figure it out. I mean, that's kind of what we do, you know? So I think removing words like, or phrases like mental illness, um, it, because when we do that, I think it normalizes it more. Um, you know, so I like when you talk about a mental health issue versus a mental illness, because, you know, I don't, I don't want to bring up my mental illness, nor do I feel like I have a mental illness, but I do have feelings of fear and loneliness and depression and, and those types of things. I'm not saying I do, but I'm saying that we have, we all have these feelings at times. So what do you think about that? I kind of go back and forth on that. Sometimes I'll refer to things as a mental health condition or an issue. I feel like using the word illness adds a bit of seriousness to it. And uh, credence isn't the right word, but it's, I I have been diagnosed by a doctor. So I want to recognize that 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 is, that is a a chemical imbalance, a thing going on with my brain. And it's not a situational, situational emotions or situational feelings. So I, I don't, I don't feel too taboo about using the word mental illness, I think there is taboo and stigma around it. But for me personally, uh, I, I don't usually, I, now I'm a little more delicate around it than I am talking about my physical health conditions. So I've still got some bias and stigma to get through. Um, but I think using illness can also legitimize it as, as a health condition, just like you would for a physical injury or illness. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I can see that. Um, 
Yeah, I guess I'm just seeing it as, you know, bringing this, I don't know, I, I, th I think, I think that you feel pretty comfortable with, with that word. Um, you know, but I don't know, I, I, I'm just, you know, you have your own personal, and then I have my own personal. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, I think that I would feel I wouldn't, and I get, I get it that it legitimizes it. And it's, you know, something that's been diagnosed and can be taken more seriously. Definitely. So yeah, I can see, I can see both sides of that. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Um, okay. So Melanie, um, I have some links here that I'm gonna put in the show notes. Of course, the, uh, link to order your book. Um, uh, we also have your website, little black belt, com, which I can't believe has not been taken by anybody else. You, you snagged that, huh? Little black belt. <laughs> I did just like <laughs> a little black you. dress. Right. Oh yeah. I bet that one's taken. Um, and then you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter. So I have all of those, um, things in there for people to go and click on and learn more and connect with you. Um, besides that, is there anything else that, um, you want to share with anybody listening, maybe who is, you know, struggling with some of the things that you have brought up today? I want to point out that, that you're not alone for those mm -hmm. of you listening is that we've all been there in some way. Uh, we've all been through a collective trauma and we've all dealt with our individual traumas. So you are not alone. Um, Self-care has never been more important and that can be different things to different people. Sometimes it's seeking help from professionals and sometimes it's doing something as simple as reading a book. So back to something I said earlier is put your health first. You deserve it. You're worth it. You deserve to be uh, cared for and happy and fulfilled. And uh, you need to put those, those mental and physical health needs first. Great. I love it. Beautiful final words. Thank you so much, Melanie, for coming onto the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. If you find the Me Time Midlife podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. The best way is to simply tell your midlife friends about it. It also helps the show's visibility if you rate and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or simply directly in your Apple Podcasts app if you listen to the show that way. And if you want more me time in your life and continue the conversations we have on the show with other women on a similar journey, consider joining our Me Time Midlife community on Facebook. Simply search for Me Time Midlife Community in your Facebook search bar or go to metimemidlifepodcast.com to learn more. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, remember, you've been taking care of everyone else. It's your turn to take care of you.